Have you ever been in the presence of someone and you knew that you were in the presence of greatness? When you were quite literally in the presence of someone and it changed you. So when I was 10 years old, I was playing in City League basketball and the head coach of the University of Kentucky men's basketball team showed up to my game. And it's a true story. He was there watching his son who was on the other team. But for me, this was an opportunity for me to be recruited, okay? This is my opportunity to go and prepare to wear the big blue. And y'all, you have never seen a 10-year-old play better than when I played, okay? I was diving on loose balls, grabbing rebounds, going for steals. Now, I only got two points, okay? But it's the best two points he has ever seen to this day, okay? I'm telling you. There's something about when you're in the presence of someone who is great that it changes you. Well, when we get to Matthew chapter two, we see wise men who come into the presence of greatness himself and it changes them forever. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter two. Matthew chapter two. And as you're turning there, I wanna let you know that coming up tomorrow, we're gonna be having two Christmas Eve services that you will not want to miss. We have them at 3.30 and at five o'clock. We're gonna have a sweet time of taking the Lord's Supper together as a faith family. We'll have candlelight. We'll sing Christmas carols and be a wonderful time to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're also gonna be taking up a benevolence offering. This is the one offering we take each year that provides the benevolence needs that will cover for 2019. And so the offering tomorrow night will go to cover uh, rent for those who are behind to help pay for diapers and food and water, uh, to help pay for gasoline and uh, electric bills for those who are in need, for those within our faith family and those throughout our community. And so we take up a benevolent offering tomorrow and it's a great way to celebrate the Christmas season together. We're finishing up our sermon series, The King Has Come, today as we are anticipating Christmas. We've looked at the last three weeks at Isaiah 9-6 and Jeremiah 23 and Psalm 2. And you can go back on your Westwood app and pull up these messages on The King Has Come. What's interesting here about Matthew chapter 2 is that Matthew is the bridge gospel from the Old Testament to the New. In fact, Matthew uses more Old Testament references than Mark, Luke, and John combined. Why? Because he is trying to reach Jews for Christ. He is pointing to Jesus. He's using Old Testament references and saying this is the Messiah that the entire Old Testament was pointing forward to. I want you to believe in Jesus. I want you to trust in him. He is the Messiah that you have been looking for throughout the Old Testament. And he begins his gospel in chapter one with a genealogy that covers 42 generations in 17 verses. He then tells the story of how the birth of Jesus came about. Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married, but then Mary became pregnant, and Joseph knew he was not the father. And so Joseph decided to call off the engagement privately so that Mary would not be disgraced publicly. But an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, telling him to go ahead and marry this girl. Chapter 1, verse 20 the angel says, what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
You are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph married Mary and she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. But then notice what happens next in chapter two, verse one. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes and the people and of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. These men from the east, they give us an example of how we are to respond to Christ at Christmas. As we study Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12, let's journey together to Bethlehem with these wise men. Let's meet the king. You see, Christmas, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to, number one, come to Christ. Come to Christ. The story of the wise men is a familiar story, but its details are often misunderstood. The wise men, they came, but we don't know how many there were. Maybe there were three, but the text doesn't tell us. We don't know their names. We don't know their mode of transportation. We don't even know what country they originally came from. These wise men were possibly from Babylon because when we go to the book of Daniel, we see magi, we see wise men who were in exile there with God's people. And these were Gentiles, probably specializing in astronomy and astrology. Now, isn't it interesting, though, that Matthew, he's trying to reach Jews for Christ with his gospel account. But right here in chapter 2, he points to Gentiles. He points to non-Jews who come from a faraway land to worship Christ. Hear me today. God indeed has a heart for the nations to worship him. The story of these wise men is is remarkable. When they arrive in Judah looking for the newborn king, they go to the obvious place where any king would be born, the capital city. They go to Jerusalem. But then like a little boy who innocently pokes a beehive with a stick, these wise men come into the city and unknowingly agitate King Herod. 
You see, instead of finding the newborn king, they set off an alarm in the heart of an insecure, violent king. And they, they asked this simple question, an innocent question about the location. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Ah, but Herod the Great, he was a jealous, suspicious, cruel leader. He was paranoid of losing his power. Here is a man who killed his favorite wife, who killed two of his sons to protect his position, to protect his throne, and to prevent any family from taking over his power. Sounds like a swell guy, right? Well, these wise men asked him the question, verse two, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The verb tense of this sentence is one that communicates a continuous asking of the question. It's as if they were going throughout the city from person to person saying, where is he who has been born king of the, king of the Jews? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They're continually asking. They're, they're searching out. They're trying to find this special king who has been born. Well, the wise men, as they ask this question, they're met with hostility. They're met with those who are upset. Verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The king and the people, they didn't know about the birth of this baby. They were perplexed. What birth are you talking about? That's not unlike our culture today. We live in a world right now that is totally unfamiliar with the true meaning of Christmas. As we look at a world around us that wraps itself up in pursuing this Christmas idea of presents and family and movie premieres, the world is unfamiliar, unfamiliar with the significance of the birth of King Jesus. And so guess what? You and I have the opportunity to go and to tell people the meaning of Christmas and it's found in a manger in Bethlehem. So what compelled these wise men to travel possibly up to 800 miles to Judah? Well, they tell us in verse two, for we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Isn't that interesting? A star in the sky led these men to where the Christ child would be born. Just as God led the children of Israel by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, God is leading these wise men by a star in the sky and he is taking them to exactly where he wants them to be. You see, the one who made the stars and calls them each by name is the one who led these wise men not only to the right country, not only to the right city, not only to the right neighborhood, but verse nine, to the exact house where he was located. Don't miss this truth. God ordered the creation to point to the creator who was being held in the arms of his earthly mother like a police helicopter that is shining its spotlight on the exact house of Joseph's rental home this star above Bethlehem it led these men right to King Jesus now this was in fulfillment 
of Numbers 24, 17. It says, a star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. So seeing the star led these wise men to be, verse 10, overwhelmed with joy. They rejoiced with great delight. You can imagine the relief and the joy. These guys that have been the road, they've been traveling for hundreds of miles, probably weeks they've been traveling, possibly maybe even asking themselves the question periodically, what are we doing? Are we really doing this? But verse nine, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. This moment brought significant delight. It was sheer ecstasy. Do you remember the moment you gave your life to Christ? That moment where you realized your sins have been forgiven? The moment that you encountered Jesus and you experienced the love of God and how he has shown you a way forward that you can march forth through this life with purpose. You can have joy in the midst of sorrow. He will be with you to the very end. You're at this moment where you believe the gospel and you are overwhelmed with joy. That's what's happening right here. These men, they see the star and it's leading them right to the Christ child, right to the king of the Jews and they can't wait and they're overwhelmed with joy. You see, indeed they're experiencing Psalm 16, that in his presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. This Christmas, come to Jesus and find your heart completely satisfied. You will be just like the wise men in the presence of Christ in which you are overwhelmed with joy. You rejoice over being in the presence of King Jesus. The star was pointing them to Christ. But you know what else was pointing them to Christ? The scriptures. Look at verse four. So Herod assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You see, the chief priests and the scribes, they knew the Old Testament. And so they knew where the true king of the Jews would be born. So Herod goes to these religious leaders and he asks them about the specific location of the birth of the Christ child. So what do they do? They point to Malachi 5.2 and they point to 2 Samuel 5.2. We see it there in the text. Now, isn't it amazing how specific and strategic the location of the prophecy of where the Messiah would be born? You see, Malachi wrote his document 450 years before Christ. This is significant here, where he has the exact town of where this Christ child would be born. And what Matthew is doing is he's connecting the dots of history and prophecy. May I say to you, your Bible is completely trustworthy. 
It is without any mixture of error. You can trust what God has written in his word. You see, there are 456 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, and Jesus fulfills every single one, including the exact town where he would be born. He was not born in Jerusalem or in Rome or in Chicago or at Children's Hospital in downtown Birmingham. What we have is crystal clear prophecy from Malachi saying he will be born in Bethlehem. See, these religious leaders, they tell Herod where this ruler will be born based upon scripture. Isn't it interesting how God uses a star and he uses scripture to point these wise men to himself. This Christmas, God is using creation and his word to point you to himself, to bring you to Jesus Christ, the King. Indeed, creation and the word of God are beckoning you to come to Christ. This Christmas, come to Christ. Believe upon this Christ child who grew up and became a man. And he lived a perfect sinless life that you couldn't live. And he goes to the cross where he dies for your sin. He pays it in full through his death. He's buried and he is indeed risen again on the third day. So those who trust in him are promised eternal life. All this Christmas come to Christ. Believe upon the Lord Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him and you will be saved. This is the power of the gospel. And we see it right here. It's starting in Bethlehem. It's gonna go all the way to Calvary. He'll be raised on the third day. This is the gospel. Believe in Christ, come to him. But secondly, Christmas is an invitation. To number two, worship Christ. Worship Christ. These wise men, they state the purpose of their journey uh, to Jerusalem in verse two. And that is, worship him. And you fast forward to verse 11. When they entered the house of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, where they were living, verse 11, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Falling on knees, getting low before the king, paying homage to the king. As we talked about last week in, in Psalm 2, kissing the son. This is the humble posture of God's people when we come into the presence of Jesus, kneeling, bowing down before the king. Now, this is a common thread that runs throughout Matthew's gospel. In Matthew 8, we see a leper who came and bowed down to Jesus, begging him to heal him. In Matthew 9, we see a synagogue leader who comes and bows down to Jesus and begs him to raise his daughter from the dead. In Matthew 15, we see a Gentile mom who bowed down to Jesus, asking him, begging him to heal her daughter. In Matthew 17, a dad comes and bows down to Jesus, begging him to heal his son the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was there with Roman soldiers around them, around him. And as they gather around him, it says, and after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and they read, uh, they put a reed in his right hand and they knelt down before him and mocked him saying, hail 
king of the Jews. Little did these soldiers know that indeed one day they will assume this posture. They will bow down and give honor and glory, even against their will, to this king of the Jews. Indeed, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's coming a day in which every knee will bow. Everyone will be humbled before the King. The difference is those who are in Christ, we choose to bow now. Choose to bow now or you will be forced to bow later. So what we see here, we see these wise men, they come before King Jesus and they bow down before him. They get low before the Lord. This Christmas, come and bow down before King Jesus. Worship and adore him. You see, verse 11, this is a foretaste of what's coming. A day in which every knee will bow, but there will be people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who were gathered around the throne on that great day. And we're gonna worship him and we're gonna give him glory. You see, this is a picture of a future day that is promised to those who belong to Christ. But then notice in the text the expression of their worship. Verse 11 Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, they displayed their love. They displayed their worship of this newborn king of the Jews by giving lavish gifts. You see, generous giving is a display of heartfelt worship. They gave gifts suitable for a king. Question, do you give to your king or do you tip your king? We see wise men who are generous. They are posturing their hearts in worshipful adoration of the king and they give a hilarious over-the-top gift to the king of the Jews. You see, this is, this is your worship. It's top priority. It's over the top, hilarious giving in light of who he is and in light of what he has done. Don't miss this. The generous giving of God's son compels generous giving from God's people. There's no obligation in our giving. When you and I give back to the Lord, it is a celebration, it is a cheerfulness, it is an over-the-top gladness because it's worship. Worship is not constrained just to praying and singing and hearing preaching. Worship continues into your generous giving. We see it right here in the lives of these wise men. Their hearts were overflowing with adoration and with gratitude and it led to generosity. You see, worship is the overflow of your heart, of bringing glory to the one who has overwhelmed who you are. And starting in the new year, I can't wait to get there, but we're gonna be starting a new sermon series called Take It All. 
And we're gonna be looking at worship from God's perspective in which he wants access to every part of our life. And we wanna worship him. We wanna give him glory, including in our finances. Notice the gifts that these wise men gave. Gold. Gold is a, a gift for royalty. It represents kinghood. It's the most precious of metals. It's the gift that is fit for a king. Well, indeed, Jesus is the king of the Jews. He is the king of Israel, and he is the most priceless one there is. Frankincense. It's a beautiful smelling incense. It's used for special occasions of worship. And in Jesus, we see the ultimate worship provided through his death on the cross. You see, the frankincense is pointing us to the beauty of the aroma of the sacrifice of Christ. The moment of worship where he goes to the cross. Frankincense is driving us to the cross of Christ. But then we also see myrrh. Myrrh is a valuable perfume. It's used to prepare bodies for burial. Myrrh was used to prepare Jesus' dead body for burial, except he didn't need it. On the third day, he got up out that grave. No need for myrrh for him, because indeed he is risen. But what we even see here is we see a, even a gospel presentation with these gifts that these men provide for this newborn king. You see, you and I, we too get to worship Christ by taking our resources and all that we have and we generously give them away because we have been generously bought with the precious blood of Christ. But may I say to you, God wants something more than just your resources. He wants your hearts. He wants your heart. You can be so poor you can't rub two pennies together because God's not interested in your money. He wants your heart. He wants a heart that is full of worship and adoration for who he is. This Christmas worship Christ. Come before the Lord our maker. Let's worship him. Let's give him glory. You know, I love this truth. You will never regret giving your life to Jesus you will regret if you do not. And this call to worship is a call to surrender. It's to give him the glory. And from the overflow of your heart, you bow down, you worship him, you give him your best because he's your king. He's worthy of your best. Church family, let's heed the call of Psalm 95, verse six. It says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Christmas is an invitation to come. It's an invitation to worship. And thirdly, Christmas is an invitation to go home changed by Christ. Verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now remember back to verse eight, Herod pulled a bait and switch on these wise men. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. That's utter nonsense. 
Herod is lying in verse eight. And we know this because if you fast forward to verse 16, it tells us that when Herod realized that these wise men had outwitted him, he flew into a rage. He gave an order to, ma to, uh, to massacre all the children in Bethlehem and around the community who were two years old and younger. So when the time came for these wise men to make a trip back home, they were warned in a dream, do not go back to Herod, verse 12. So they turn and they go to their own country by another route. You see, the wise men had a choice. Are we going to obey King Herod or King Jesus? Are we going to obey an earthly king or are we gonna obey a heavenly king? When the time comes when you and I have to choose, will we obey the government or will we obey King Jesus? We must follow the lead of our brothers and say the government doesn't have a shot towards our soul. We follow King Jesus. We're gonna obey him because when you encounter Jesus, he changes you. You're different. These wise men had every intent of going back to Herod, but verse 12, when they were told in a dream not to go back, they didn't go back. They were changed, they were different. When you encounter Christ, he changes everything about you. The way you see the world, the way you understand life, the way you experience and even study your own heart. But you know what I can't get over? What I can't get over is when these wise men first arrived in Jerusalem, and they shared the big news about this king of the Jews who's been born. They find out in Bethlehem, no one went with them. Herod stayed in Jerusalem. The chief priests stayed in Jerusalem. The scribes, they stayed in Jerusalem. No one made a six-mile trip to see if these things were so. Now, Bethlehem, is six miles south of Jerusalem. Six miles. Okay, the Shelby County Airport is six miles south of where you're sitting right now. Do you not think that if someone came and said, the king of the Jews has been born six miles south of here, do you not think you'd at least get up and go check? Do you not think you'd be willing to maybe go and just see if these things were so? Is it possible that this could be true? And yet no one went. No one made the effort. You see, you show on the outside what's going on in the inside. The proof of what you claim on Sunday is revealed Monday through Saturday. We see these chief priests and these scribes who know the word, and yet their heart was far from God. You see, they didn't go to Bethlehem. They stayed where they were. Notice from the text, these three different responses to the birth of King Jesus. The first, anger. Anger. We see it from Herod. Herod wanted to kill Jesus. May I say to you, there are those today who want to once again, they want to kill Jesus, and we see it in how they want to kill the church. Around the world, the church of Jesus Christ is being persecuted. We are being killed all the day long because we belong to King Jesus. Our culture is becoming increasingly hostile at Christmas and throughout the year because they hate the Jesus whom we represent. There's anger. Secondly, apathy. Apathy, we see it amongst the Jews. The Jews, they were indifferent. 
They were uninterested in this birth announcement. The birth of King Jesus was met with a yawn. Question, is your spiritual temperature towards Jesus this, this, this Christmas, is it average? Are you lukewarm in your walk with Christ? Are you going through the motions? Are you anticipating the birth of Christ this Christmas with a shrug of your shoulders? If you're not passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ, then today turn from your sin, turn from yourself and run to the Savior. Ask him to put a white hot passion for his glory in your heart. And there is nothing in this world that satisfies you more than him. Do not be like the Jews who just stayed in Jerusalem. Let's be like the wise men who were passionate. They wanted to know the Lord. They wanted to see the Lord. They wanted to worship the Lord. We see thirdly, their response, adoration. Adorations, worship. Come before the newborn king. It brought humility because they, they get low on their knees. It brought joy. They're overwhelmed with joy. And it brought adoration. They worship the Lord. So the question you must answer is this Christmas, will you reject the king like Herod, shrug your shoulders like the Jews, or fall to your knees and worship him? How are you going to respond this Christmas? How are you going to respond to the Christ child? Which one are you? And at least our impact point is this, and it's this. This Christmas, here's the challenge. I want you to go and read. Read Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 and worship Christ the King. You see, no one who truly meets Christ will ever be the same afterwards because the story does not stop in Bethlehem. The story marches forward where Jesus is nailed to the cross and he hung there, suspended between heaven and on earth. And above his head on the cross is written these words. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of glory. This is your king. And when you encounter your king, he changes everything about you. Because you're in the presence of greatness. This Christmas, come to Christ. Worship Christ and then go home and be changed by Christ. Indeed, this Christmas, behold your King, because indeed, this Christmas, your King has come.